Hello and welcome to Lightmap from SIFTA. My name is Gianni and thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And on Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and you meet creative people from all around the world. It's a guide to those interesting new gameplay experiences uh, and every episode you meet developers, artists, musicians, researchers, community managers and many, many more. Anyone who has something interesting to say about making interactive games. On this episode, our guest is Jeremy Fielding, who's a community manager at Stunlock Studios, uh, the maker of a game that I think probably a lot of you are talking about right now, V Rising. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Jenny. Uh We can't wait to learn a little bit more about this game uh, that is uh, sort of a vampire survival game. Um, some elements of it you may be familiar with, some a little bit different. Um, but before that, let's find out what's been making the news this week on the latest episode of Walkthrough. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. You're listening to Lightmap, interesting conversations with video game creators. Jeremy, if people haven't heard of V Rising, I mean, it has actually only been out in early access for a very short period of time as we're, we're talking to you now. Uh, what is V Rising? Uh, okay, so V Rising is a uh, vampire dark fantasy survival action RPG. <laughs> uh, we have uh, WASD movement uh, and uh, skill shots, and uh, it, it's a it's a very I know it's a lot of words, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's something that people I, I think haven't really experienced before. Uh, so it's really hard to uh, drive it down into a single word. Uh, like I can't just say Metroidvania or something like that. I, I have to give you the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been having a really, really good time kind of experiencing people uh, experience our game uh, for all that uniqueness and all of that. Uh, like you said, it's it's uh, got a lot of things in common with the survival genre, but there's a lot of very different things about it too. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, it is, uh, for people who may be not familiar when we talk about survival games, a uh, survival game is a game where you're basically kind of thrown into an environment and you need to build up your resources as you go along um, using uh, a variety of different uh, building techniques as well. But there's also quite um, quite a really solid combat system in this as well, like the combat when you're fighting enemies feels like uh, like a MOBA, something like League of Legends or uh, maybe something like, um, you know, Dota, for example, those sort of games. Um, can you tell me what are some of those elements uh, that sort of make uh, V Rising unique um, or, and what are some of the things that would be common that people would understand? Uh, well, so a lot of the combat mechanics are kind of uh, borrowed or inspired by uh, one of our last games, which is uh, uh, Battle Right, uh, which is also very similar to one of our older games, Bloodline Champions. 
so this, the, the idea of Battle Right, uh, we, we didn't call it a MOBA, we called it a, uh, a TAB, a Team Arena Brawler. And the idea was kind of like breaking down the whole concept of MOBA more into just the, the team fight aspect when everything is super actiony. And you move with WASD instead of click to move, so you feel like you have like a more visceral like grasp on your movement. Everything feels more responsive and quicker and snappier. It had like it was kind of like a MOBA, but it played a lot like a fighting game. Um, so th- th- we kind of took that combat, which is something we're very experienced with and we love very much, and, and kind of tried to put it in this different context because we, as a studio, we just really wanted to do something new, something with a much bigger scope something something that wasn't just like a strict queue up pvp game we, we wanted to make like a world and uh i think we i think we did that <laughs> i think uh the way that people responded to it is is insane it makes us so happy uh one thing i was talking to uh one of our lead designers shell about um when i was just kind of trying to get a temperature check of how we were all doing um he he described like sort of um we are gamers very much but we don't nobody in our studio has like 2000 3000 hours of survival game experience or anything like that you know uh we have like you know a few hundred hours but um what we did with this was we were, were making a survival game but just sort of trying to like do things we thought were fun uh we're not like beholden to like lots of other games mechanics we don't have these like super solid ideas of how things must be uh, and because of that, I, I think uh, it's it sort of led to, you know, sometimes we're falling into some like pitfalls that other games have already kind of solved. But at the same time, we're also we've also got the freedom to do things that other people haven't done because we're not like in those ruts. Um, it's interesting because quite often um, when, you know, developers and teams are told to make games, you're told to make what you know. But it sort of sounds like this is a, a bit out on a limb uh, for you and the team there. I mean, you've got the combat stuff. That's something that you've built on from your previous games. Um, but this uh, survival-themed world uh, is, is something you can go there. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, what is the experience like for players when they're first uh, jumping in? Um, what is that sort of um, kind of hook that seems to have hooked a lot of people so far and getting everyone to team up with their friends um, and build things uh, in, in this world? Uh, so when you're first starting out, you're just sort of like, <clears throat> excuse me, just sort of like you're a vampire. Uh, you've been asleep for a very long time and you're crawling out of your crypt and sort of moving out into this, uh, this like graveyard tomb type area. And you, you kind of like go and you, you like learn your basic things. You know, it, it doesn't hold your hand too much. It gives you like the basics, but, uh, there's always this sort of journal that's pushing you along, like letting you know what the next thing you should probably handle is. Uh, it doesn't make you do it, but it tells you, like, hey, if you're looking to progress, this is where you want to go. If you want to run around and stab wolves, stab wolves. But uh, if you want to build a, a castle, just letting you know, <laughs> this is where you should go to do it. You want to fight, you want to get resources, you should probably chop some wood. Uh, so I think what really hooks people is that that driving, that that like always knowing what you can do next. And it really is addictive <laughs> to like get in and you start doing things and you, you achieve a little bit more and you achieve a little bit more, you achieve a little bit more. Uh, and, and the beginning is, is nice, but I think what really hits is the, the V-Blood system, which is a system in which um, you gain your, your personal character progression through. 
basically, we wanted to really lean into the vampire idea, like the idea of being a vampire, doing vampire stuff. And it, it made sense that the progression should also feel vampiric. Like, it's not like you uh, make a copper sword and then because you've made a copper sword, you're like, well, time to learn how to make an iron sword. You learned how to make an iron sword by finding the guy who knows how to make an iron sword and eating him. <laughs> so it, it, it's like this uh, sort of idea of like blood knowledge, the sort of thing that vampires can tap into. So once you start getting on the sort of like uh, you, you get the blood altar and you can start tracking V blood units and you know what you're going to get when you eat them, uh, it sort of puts you on that, that path of you're like, I always know the next thing that I can do when I want to do it. And I always have a challenge in front of me that I can tackle. And I think that's that's part of what grips people. Um, it's it's quite an inter- uh, interesting system because it um, it really does pull you along. Uh, there's like a big trail of blood that kind of you know floats off yeah. in the distance as you're sort of smelling your enemies. There, um, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, the big push for me as I was playing the game was that I often felt that I was running up against um, you know extremely challenging environments um, and then having to die and then restart and come back and collect my bits and pieces and go how did you sort of um you know how's the response been to that sort of experience for people um as they're learning the ropes of what it's like to be a vampire in this particular world well it's interesting because uh you know there's there's like sort of all types of people uh that that experience games in all types of ways and you've got people who are sort of frustrated that they don't have uh enough like abilities at the beginning or they don't they don't have like enough uh, tools to start with but at the same time, uh, you've got people who have too much. <laughs> like, they don't think to use their counter. They don't think to use their... You start with, like, three spells, uh, which is a lot uh, for a lot of people. Uh, and also, uh, a lot of people just aren't familiar with using just WASD movement. Like, that in itself, and having to aim, and click, and keep track of three guys who are trying to shoot you. Like, it's a lot for people. Uh, when you're brand new to it, like uh, if you're fresh to the game, I feel like there's like three or four hours maybe where you're just like kind of comically fumbling around just trying to like learn how to walk. Uh, but once you get past that point, it starts to feel a little a little bit more solid. And uh, we very deliberately kind of set up the progression of the game so that the, the sort of first part of it, uh, you have more limited skills, more limited abilities, you have less to think about. And then it's it's really you're maybe about like thirty or forty percent into the game. That's the point at which you actually have a full kit to work with. Like the the boss at the end of the first sort of area you you get into, that's where you get like your first like big ultimate ability. But that's at the end of that area. Like that's when you're moving into the next thing. So uh, and it isn't until the next area after that that you get your second weapon ability. So uh, we very much try to introduce things slowly so that you kind of get a handle on things. And the bosses are very much scaled in that way too. Like the V-Blood units are scaled to be fought with only a limited number of abilities. So they're not quite as tough as the later fights. Uh, And things really ramp up in difficulty later on towards the end. Um, One thing that I particularly liked is that um, this game does actually help you. I know you've said that you can kind of take your own path um, as you go, but, you know, in a lot of survival games, you are literally on your own and it's you're pulling up your phone and having to Google what to do next. And I didn't feel like that was, uh, you know, a problem in this game. I always knew there was something extra to keep working for. I knew what my next thing or my next task was. Can you tell me a little bit about why that's an important design element for this game? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's really uh, important for a game to be as uh, intuitive as possible. Uh, 
uh, for you to, and it's very much designed in a way that uh, sort of everything sort of intuitively serves everything else. Like they don't really add things that are just for like, this is just for base building or this is just for PVP or this is just for PVE. Everything kind of serves every other element and that's very intuitive. And, and we try to make things do what you would expect them to do by looking at them. Or if you are surprised by what they do, it makes sense after you realize it. Like we have a mirror in the game and when you go up to the mirror, you would think it would just be like a mirror, but you can actually like reorganize your your look by, by uh, interacting with it. And that's something that you might not necessarily expect, but when you do it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, uh, and sort of every element we want to be that way. So with that, like if you want to find out how to make, um, I don't know, how to, how to make uh, leather, so you can, you see like in your, uh, your, your workshop bench, you can see that you can make leather armor, but you don't have leather. And maybe you found leather while you were out killing something, you know, just as happenstance because the stuff you kill before then happens to drop that stuff. And on top of that, you look at your like blood altar and you're like, okay, uh, what can I kill? I can kill the wolf. I can kill the foreman. I can kill the trapper person, bow person. And, oh, look, it says on their thing that I can make leather after I kill her. So it sort of like leads you there without you having to really go and reference anything. And not everyone will catch everything. Some people will have to go reference stuff. But the goal is obviously to make people feel the need to do that as little as possible. Um, this game has had uh, a pretty surprising reaction. I've seen you quoted a number of times saying that you were surprised by the number of people who have uh, bought into this game and articles around the internet. Can you tell me a little bit about what that moment was like when you started to realize this is picking up pace at a, at a rate that we didn't think was possible? You make a game <laughs> and you... Uh... You know, I obviously am one very small part of, like, the whole team that made this, like, incredible game. Uh, but you, you, you do something and, and you're, you like it. Like, you like it. You love it. And you design it for yourself because you can't design it for other people. Or, like, you, you can't know what everyone's going to want. You just make something that you think is going to be fun, which is another thing that Shelt told me. Like that that's how he thinks when he does it. And I thought that was really like poignant. Um and you want it to be good and you want people to like it. And when you put it out there and you have no idea what people are actually gonna do. Like you, you don't know. Like I, I came in and I was thinking this is my first game release, by the way. Uh I've never launched a game before this. <laughs> so we went into this and I was just thinking, like, man, it would be incredible to me if my first game launched and it was so big that it was like 20k concurrent players on early access like that would be nuts and then like four or five days later we're hitting like 150 <laughs> like how could you possibly expect it how could you possibly know like one in thirty thousand games does this good it's uh and we're just super thankful super grateful that people like saw the thing that we loved and they loved it too and and it just uh is such like a I don't know, it's almost like a spiritual moment, like connecting with that many people in that way, on that sort of scale. Uh, and to be honest, I still haven't processed it, like at all. Uh, we, on Friday, we hit 100K. And I think that was like the peak of how good I could feel about a thing. And then since then, it's just been like flatline. Like <laughs> I don't, nothing, nothing changes anymore. Uh, I'm just so happy. Um, are you give, able to give us a bit of an idea of, of, you know, we found out that it sold a million copies within that first sort of week, basically, um, of, of how far it's going? Is it trending more than that? Like, wh where is it at so far? 
we just announced, I think literally as of this interview, I think like 10 minutes ago, we just released that we've, we've uh, sold 1.5 million. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of people playing your game. Um, how does that feel? It uh, feels really good. <laughs> feels cool. It's a, as as the community manager, uh, in terms of what I was expecting, in terms of uh, players to manage, it's a it's, it's a little it's a lot, uh, but we're doing our best. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. It's a really good problem to have. Yeah, you probably had a bit of a plan. I'd imagine you know setting it up, thinking about this early access. Um, community managers are quite involved usually with sort of building up that interest in people as as this early access process goes. Tell me about what your original plan was like and what does a roadmap kind of look like for you now that you've got 1.5 million people playing your game? Well, for me as a community manager, uh, I like, you know, I was setting up social channels. I was, uh, I completely reorganized the Discord like the day before uh, to prepare for like a huge influx of people. I, I made some more, I hired out some more mods. I tried to, you know, get everything set up so that it would be scalable. You know, you want to have like, like I got these new, things from discord that allowed me to make forms. I'm like, Oh, this is perfect for bug reporting. And I, I like put together like all these systems so that it would be as easy as possible and take as little manual work as possible to go through each individual thing. Cause I figured, you know, I'm going to be stretched pretty thin. Uh, I mean, I'm part of a marketing team. This is a big time for us launch wise in which we're going to be investing a ton of time. So, you know, I tried to set things up, uh, but again, that's <laughs> the, the sheer volume. It just like completely overwhelmed uh, our system. So we are now completely reorganizing everything else. You know, we're making uh, new new ways to report bugs in a much more scalable system. We're trying to just get things set up that it's manageable for our team. Because we are, as a studio, I think we're 36, 37 people right now. And like the games that we're next to on the Steam charts are, are all like teams of hundreds of people. Uh, so it's, and I, I am just the one community manager. We have our marketing team is, is three people <laughs> uh, and, and like everyone else, you know, we got artists and designers and stuff like none of them are like, they have time to manage people. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot for it's a, a different skill set as well. Our best. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've got, I, I would say our people are, are very nice and likable and I love our team so much. Uh, and some of them are really good with like community management stuff, but uh, it's it's hard to ask for them to do that when they've already got so much going on. Does it present kind of an exciting opportunity for you um, to to really see this thing at scale, or, or does it feel like a pressure? I think it's more exciting than it is a pressure. Like it it is a pressure, but like I don't know, maybe I'm just manic still. But <laughs> there's like a, a certain like energy I get when I think about it, and I just I just want to keep doing doing more, uh, but. Um, my boss and also my CEO and uh, all the people around me are constantly reminding me, you know, to slow down, take a break. You don't have to do everything. It's only been two weeks. You know, not everything has to be fixed immediately. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're trying our best, but also we're trying to not drive ourselves into the ground and burn out. Uh, so, yeah, being very careful about that. Uh, making sure to take breaks, uh, making sure to, uh, our, our, our studio in general has like a very good culture, I think for, uh, there's like a, a, a tea time sort of in the morning, they call it Fika in Sweden. And then they have like lunch and then they have like another sort of little tea time and it like breaks up the work day and makes it so you're not just like grinding all the time, you know, they take a moment to stop and relax. Uh, so yeah, there's a pressure, but I think we're managing it pretty well and it is really fun. 
Can you tell me a little bit about what the the path of the game looks like now? Because I uh, imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, but it probably would have been slightly different to, for you know, at this point, you would have different timelines, different milestones. Um, what, is it, what does it look like now? And what's the big calls from, from the community? What do they want? Uh, okay, so there are some issues that we need to deal with very much. Uh, you know, uh, there are some just sort of emergent gameplay issues. You know, the way players choose to play and the ways they choose to like grief each other and the ways they figure out to mess with each other. These are things that uh, I would like to be able to moderate personally. But uh, again, one person versus uh, now 1.5 million people, it's just impossible to like investigate all these instances. So uh, we're trying to come up with systemic ways to deal with these things uh, that need to be personally addressed as little as possible, you know, designing in a way that makes practical sense for our team size. Uh, So we are, we're working on those. Uh, And also right now for this first, you know, little while, like month or so, we're, we're just trying to like bug fix, make sure there's nothing super critically wrong going on all the time, make sure, you know, people can play the game that buy it. And uh, also adding quality of life features, because while a lot of people have given us compliments uh, that I'm very happy uh, to receive that we are we have a lot going on for an early access game. We really appreciate that. But also there's a lot of like very simple quality of life stuff that we could add that would be important and kind of comes with a more developed game that's had more like audience testing. So uh, we're working on those for now, Uh, but we're also looking at content for the future. Um, And while this does feel like to a lot of people a super dense game i'm kind of feeling like how um i think other devs felt when i joined the team and i played it and i was like this is a really cool already good game like what's what's the issue here and they're just looking at me they're like come on man like <laughs> you have no idea and, and now when we get to release you know a lot of people are like oh this is a super dense great game like you didn't need to be early access i'm like we, we, do, we do though like there's so many we have so many systems but like most of our systems they're they're I think they're really good and all together they work really well together. They make a really solid game, but they can all be expanded on massively. And one of the cool things about this game that we hadn't really been able to do for previous like PVP titles is there's so many things to build on. You can just keep it expanding and expanding and building on these systems in infinite ways. And uh, yeah, we're looking to build and expand on those systems uh, before release. When we, we, we want to have a more solid end game. Uh, we want to have, more weapons we want to have more spells we want to have more places to explore we want to have all those cool little things that we have we want more of them you know there's a unit that drops a a a recipe to learn a scythe uh, recipe that's really cool uh we want more of those like more unique items and schematics that you can find out in the world uh, that you don't just just get strictly through killing one dude uh or like one tier of weapons you know more interesting boss fights, more everything. There's so much to add. The sky's the limit, it sort of sounds like. Um, I'm just curious with the early access tag, as uh, you know, people's expectations of what an early access game varies depending on who you are. Um, if you're inside the industry making games or if you're a player, um, you know, what is it important in terms of that messaging, um, communicating it to people, you know, wh- where this game is at? Because it so- as you said, it sounds like, it's a very fun game. It's got a lot going for it. Those structural systems are in place, ready for people to have fun with their friends. Um, but, you know, as you said, there's still more to come. 
Yeah, I think that's one thing that we've been kind of careful to remind people going in is like, hey, uh, this isn't a full game. This is an early access game. There are going to be some bug issues. There are going to be uh, some wonky, pretty silly stuff is going to happen occasionally. Uh, I think that's the case in all games, but I think we also hold ourselves to a very high standard, um, which is one of the re- really great things about the studio is that, is that everybody individually holds themselves to a very high standard. We, we don't necessarily have to hold each other to it. Everyone kind of does it on their own. And uh, everyone's sort of proud of their work. And I think communicating where we are is just, you know, reminding people every once in a while, like, hey, we are an early access title, but you don't want to do it in a way that makes it sound like an excuse. Because it's not an excuse, because we do want to make a great game. But you also want to say, like, hey, you know, there's going to be more, and you should expect more in release. But, um, you know, uh, the game as it is, you know, if people just play through the content we have now, and uh, that's it for now, if they go through and they say, like, you know, I beat all the bosses, I did all the stuff, I'm good for now, um, that's okay. You know, the game doesn't have to be the only thing you do every day for the rest of your life, at least not right now. Uh, It's okay for you to play the game and have fun and just come back when we update stuff. Um, But if you do want to stick around and play the game, that's also awesome. And we want to make the game fun for for those people as well. Um, So yeah, we're we're working on systems for all people to make the game more replayable, to make it more fun, to make it a longer, better experience, even though it's already pretty long. So uh, I'd say that's where we're at with early access. We are we are partway along the way. We've got a lot of stuff, great stuff going for us, but there's so much we want to expand on before we're comfortable calling this a full release. And then after we're done with full release, to be completely clear, we do plan to continue working on the game quite a bit. Like, like I said earlier, there's so many things we can expand into. We have so many ideas, and people, we're getting such a flood of ideas. Um, I don't think we're going to be running out of that anytime in the foreseeable future. It's, you know, they say that it takes a long time to be an overnight success. You know, this game has been in development for around three years. It went, uh, you know, about a year ago, people started to clue into something happening here when it was in sort of beta as well. Um, But I'm wondering, is there a moment that really stood out to you uh, that, you know, you said, hey, hang on, people are really connecting to this. This is a, was it a comment that you saw or or, or something you were really proud of that you, you realized that people had, you know, fallen in love with this game? I spend so much time looking at what people are saying. <laughs> I spend so much time like reading things that are coming from people. And uh, the thing is, like when you get feedback in this volume at this time, like even the beta, like a lot of people are saying like super nice things about the game. And you take it with a grain of salt because you know, like the the good feedback is awesome, but it's the bad feedback that really uh, it can be very helpful. Uh, And it also kind of, it's that canary in the coal mine. Like if you have one person that says something specific, they're having like a huge issue with, um, you know that other people are having that issue too. And uh, you'll usually wait to see like that thing crop up a few times and you're like, okay, this isn't just that one guy. This is a real problem. We need to start thinking about this. Uh, And we're always on the lookout for that stuff. And the negative feedback is always very useful. In addition to the positive feedback, it's good to know what people like too. Um, I think the moment I realized that this was like getting really big and getting like really uh, and doing really well was uh, after coming out of the beta, you know, you expect your beta to be a little bit biased towards you 
because it's people who have gone out of their way to sign up and have been following your game for a while. But now that it's out to the masses of people who have never, never heard of our game, and they are sure to remind us all the time that they've never heard of our game before they play it. Uh, they, the amount of negative feedback I'm not receiving is, is what really makes me, what really throws me. The amount of people who aren't saying, like, talking about, like, uh, major issues, the major, the amount of people who aren't, like, just trashing us. Like, I, I expected to see a lot more of that. I was super ready for it. You know, I was, I was steeled. I'm hard. I got, I got thick skin. I'm, like, ready for it. And the amount of it that I'm not seeing is just, is crazy. It, it, it blows me away. Um, it is something that I think uh, uh, a lot of people are talking about at the moment. Um, they're trying to convince their mates to, to jump in and play with them uh, in a server, guiding them through a world uh, which is very rich and deep so far. Um, Jeremy, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode of Lightmap. And hey, I'd love to have you back on in a little bit of time and see how things have progressed uh, once you're a little bit further out uh, down the path. That sounds great. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. It was really fun. If you're interested in the game, um, you can find it uh, on playvrising.com or look for V Rising Game on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer. And my name is Gianni Di Giovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. You can find links to everything we've talked about on our website, which is sifter.com.au. Read more about the games and the guests that we've featured on the show over the years. And while you're online, why not join the Sifter community? If you join, enjoy this, you can share your creativity with others in our very chill server filled with awesome people. That's sifter.com.au forward slash discord. Uh, that address again, sifter.com.au forward slash discord. That's all for now. Thank you so much, uh, Jeremy, for joining us once again. Uh, thank you. This is, again, it's been really fun. My first podcast ever, actually. Very excited to have you on here for the first podcast. That's I, I feel honored. Thank you. Um, and we'll see you on a future episode of, of uh, Lightmap, hopefully, Jeremy. And for everyone listening at home, until next time, have fun. Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world's ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of. It's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know? And I think so having the characters have that humor and like having the mini games and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.